Hello everyone and welcome to On The Pulse. This week Fleur again can't make it because she's in the Netherlands looking for jobs. I hope she gets on soon. Yeah, good luck Fleur, you can do it. Um, so this week again we've tried to make the most of it and I've just continued to invite more of my friends in. So we've got a very special co-host this week if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Georgina. I am a third year history student at LSE and also one of Hayden's flatmates. Brilliant. And we're soon also to be joined by Min, who is in a class at the moment. Uh, and the reason that we're joined by these two lovely co-hosts this week is because we're talking about political cinema. Obviously, nothing as such has happened this week to really prompt us doing this, apart from Fleur's absence. Um, but obviously, recently we've had awards season, not exam season, which came into my head. So we've had the Oscars and various of the other ones that I can't name. What are they? Uh, BAFTAs. Yes. And I think that's the only film ones. Once I saw Christian Bale walk out of Covent Garden after the BAFTAs. That is really is it, cool. Is it the BAFTAs that are there? The BAFTAs? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, probably. probably. That was really cool. Um, but obviously we probably could have talked about that last week, but we had a bit of a constitutional crisis, so we thought we'd you know make the most of that. So this week we're going to ask, what is political cinema? why do we care and what's the best and worst of it so i've always enjoyed some interesting discussions with you talking about exactly what is political cinema where because it's not just cinema that involves politics right because that you know you, you carry on tell so, me so yeah like i think political cinema could be interpreted in like two ways one is obviously just films that talk about politics the other is probably films that like how politicians use the cinema and how politicians use film and since sort of films creation politicians have been see have seen it as a really important tool um to use to as propaganda um so you can see prominent like examples of this in sergey eisenstein um who was a soviet film director and he directed a very famous film called october october is to highlight the anniversary of the russian revolution um but it's actually a wildly inaccurate portrayal of the russian revolution um, as incredible, as way more popular than it actually was. So I think these kind of uh, films were used to support the regime and support the revolution at the time, but are incredible tools that, for the general public, don't seem like they are propaganda. They seem like it's it's also a very critically acclaimed film. So there is like a level of how to what extent the public knows they're looking at propaganda. Yeah, this is interesting because I think I may have been duped by this film because when you talk about the revolution, I do think of scenes from this film, you know, with everyone climbing at the gates and um, pulling them down and sort of proper mass protest, but you say that it wasn't actually like that. I think it's more likely that what, well, what we know about the revolution was that in the storming of the Duma, um, there was only a few sol soldiers that did it, and to, to the extent that there was enough time for Kerensky, the leader of the provisional government at the time, to escape. Um, most of the provisional government managed to get out of the building before um, they got soldiers even got to them. So the the way October portrays it is a lot more visceral, a lot more impactful, okay. but less accurate. So more death of Stalin than October is that? I think death of Stalin is funnier. But like, yeah, yeah, fair so. enough. Actually, speaking of that, also I've I've been interested in how he himself used cinema as well. <laughs> I know that we're dwelling on Soviets quite a lot here, but I I remember there is this. I think most of the footage is been burned or lost or something like that but he was very keen on um, making these films in which he was a sort of a central mover of the plot so there was one in which this sort of Russian peasants and going away to fight the war and then they come back and 
they're not sure if they're ever going to find each other again, but then, alas, they all go to this, to, to meet Stalin as he, he comes and waves at massive crowds and, and they finally find love with each other. So it's interesting how the leaders themselves sometimes are portrayed in cinema, either by themselves or sort of by other people. Yeah, and I think when leaders are portrayed, it seems a lot more like propaganda. So it's interesting with that, that type of cinema, it's very clearly the leader trying to give an image of himself, whereas some other types of cinema that's equally as political and equally used as a tool by politicians becomes less like propaganda because it's harder, because you don't see the leaders in it. Um, America does this quite a lot with their... They had a massive, in the cold, beginning of the Cold War, they funded a huge campaign of cinema screenings and um, trucks would ship cinemas across Latin America, specifically in Mexico, um, to try and spread US propaganda, even though most of the images or most of the videos and films were about simple things like vaccinating your children or um, just general fun plots, but they were still US propaganda. This is where we're going to find out that you're an anti-vaxxer or something like that, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, I love, like, just clarify, everybody should get vaccinated, please do that. <laughs> that's a public service announcement. Yeah. Right? Okay, that's interesting, but maybe when we look to more modern cinema as well, there seems to be in a lot of films which are about politicians and about politics recently that, to me, seem to have not really strayed into sort of, quote, political cinema. So I know that we've both been to see The Favourite, which obviously won a lot of Oscars, Olivia Colman's fantastic speech. And that portrayed Parliament, it portrayed the Whigs and the Tories and the sort of upper echelons of power um, at the period and also a lot of sort of Machiavellian political games mm -hmm. but I mean I personally wouldn't say that that's a political film I'm not sure if you would um, I don't think it is a political film insofar as like I wouldn't say it's a political film about the Whigs or the Tories but if, if you look at it as a film about the sort of strive to power and like one person's desire to gain power um, and sort of, as you mentioned, the Machiavellian politics behind it, then I think it could be seen as more having a message. Um, especially when you look at, like, I think it's quite a cynical message, if it does have one, um, of when Emma Stone's character just sort of ignores party politics. She doesn't really care which party she's helping, if it helps her on her, uh, on her like, drive to success and her drive to be the number one. So I think it does have a rather cynical message about politics, but there is one there. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I like this idea of cynicism, not just in cinema, but also political television, because <laughs> I'm aware two of Armando Iannucci's great sort of pieces of television, you've got The Thick of It and Veep as well. And I may be wrong, but I don't think it's ever explicitly stated what parties both of the politicians are from. It's pretty heavily implied that in the UK version, it's the Labour Party, sort of New Labour, and um, in the American version, it's the Democrats. But it's done with such a sort of cynicism, as you say, that... It seems to be saying that none of this actually matters and it's sort of the power games rather than the sort of ideological politics of it. And that seems to be quite a big step away from the sort of Soviet cinema, the, all of this, um, like October and uh, the films that Stalin used to make. <coughs> so do you think we're sort of straying into an age where it's kind of apolitical, political films? 
Hmm. I yeah. I think art films are less ideological, like ideologically driven. Although saying that, we have also seen Vice recently. That is true. Which is very ideologically driven, I'd say. Yeah, you're right there. Um, <laughs> but I think like compared to something like October. Um, which is very clearly pushing a message and pushing this ideology. I think you're right. Um, there is a lot more cynicism around politics in general when it's used as a topic in films. Um, and while people still do push ideological me- messages, I think they're more tongue-in-cheek about it. Yeah. Um, and I think people are more like more acknowledging that this isn't just this one ideology that's perfect, like yeah. October sort of claims. Um, we've only really talked about either sort of historical films or f- sort of semi-fictional depictions of things. But what about documentaries? Are there any sort of political documentaries that spring to mind immediately as particularly sort of important or influential? I know that I've seen a few. I've mostly, you know, um, to express my of leftist political leanings, the only ones that I've really seen are the sort of Fahrenheit 9-11, you know, Bowling for Columbine sort of ones, which are, albeit tongue-in-cheek, very, very mm-hmm. on the nose about how ideological they are. Um, I think with documentaries, like, I think they ha- they can afford to be more on the nose of how ideologically ideological they are, because with fiction, at least, you almost are tricking someone into... I mean, people are watching it for enjoyment, firstly. And so having a very ideologically driven fiction film feels almost like someone's tricking you into these opinions. If you watch a documentary, there's a person behind these like opinions. This is the person creating the documentary who's very clearly pushing an ad- agenda. I don't know, with it, for me, with like, non-fiction, it's easier for someone to show, tell me that they are, have an ideology and not... And for me to be like, okay, I may disagree with you, but this yeah. is fair enough, this is your opinion. In a film, it feels more like, this is something I watch to enjoy. And even if it has a political message, you try, like, almost trying to discreetly push a message onto me, compared to a dom- documentary where it feels like this is less discreet. Yeah, David Attenborough. Yeah. <laughs> what messages are you yeah, trying to convey? The, the political message of don't throw away plastics. Which is a good message. Another public service announcement <laughs> on the post there. Although you're talking about cinema being a lot more subtle and a little bit more cynical and a little bit more tongue-in-cheek in the way that it portrays these sort of things now, do you think part of that is when we were talking about these older films, it was quite a novel medium, right? And politicians and actors really did want to jump on this as a novel way of promoting politics, but now it's a little bit more tried and tested, right? We've had this for decades and decades and we've seen all of these sort of films. Do you think modern day films now have perhaps internalised the politics a little bit more? I know that we talk a lot about American soft power, um, you know, blue jeans, rock and roll. Are you talking about? Um... Yeah, I actually think people have just become. I think it, it's fair to argue that people have just become more skilled at using the medium to portray a message. So if you look at sort of America portraying their soft power in the 1940s, they did this by things such as creating a cartoon called The Three Caballeros, which aims to bring like bring latin american characters into the disney field although these characters were incredibly stereotypical and like terrible if you look at them disney, now i'm i'm shocked that <laughs> disney would ever do something as horrible as that i know but like that is an example of poorly done political cinema but that that is something that people obviously can improve on and they've just become more skilled over time i would agree with you that like these ideas of 
probably still underpinning a lot of films, they're just more internalised and like smarter. One of my favourite examples of this, I'm a big fan of the film The Pervert's Guide to Ideology by Slavoj Žižek, um, again becoming more of a self-parody every day. Um, but one of the examples of this was Jaws, which I don't think either of us would clarify as a political film. No, definitely didn't think sure. that was a political film. I don't think the shark was running for office or anything like that. But it was taken along two strands. So his idea is that in America it was very popular. It presents the fear of the unknown. He sort of thought that this was the fear of the foreign, the fear of the immigrant and things like that. And that's why it was so popular across America. However, it was Fidel Castro's favourite film, which is interesting because for him, apparently, the shark symbolises none other than capitalism, right? It's, it's this sort of chaotic and destructive force that imperialism and capitalism can bring into a given country. Do you think then that's just us? It's, the film itself isn't political, it's us reading our own ideologies into the film. Like, it's, say, when you're doing GCS English and they're like, well, the curtains in this room are blue, and that makes you... F- yeah. Then that's signifying sadness. It, it represents the Tories. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can take anything from those things, but because you've watched it with a certain ideology, you can imprint that onto a film, whereas I don't think Jaws was necessarily made with that ideology in mind. The fact that two different people took completely different things yeah. from it shows that how influential the actual film watcher is in shaping what a film means. And for a very GCSE English end to this segment, <laughs> aren't all films then political films? If, if we can sort of imprint our own thoughts onto each and every one of these, what is it to say that The Favourite isn't strictly a political film or Jaws isn't strictly a political film? Where, where do you draw the line? I think to save us getting very like meta about it, I think you probably should cl- classify a political film as something that has uh, in some way politically or ideologically driven message. But then I, I, I see your point that you could probably find that in anything. Ultimately, political films try to classify themselves almost in who they or the people they have in it, like the characters they're trying to portray or the issues they're trying to tackle. Hopefully, they will continue to be as clear as they currently are. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And in the next section, we'll be delightfully joined by our next co-host to discuss whether the Fast and Furious films are indeed political. No, uh, what what are our favourite and least favourite examples of political cinema? Can't wait. And in this section, as we're talking about our best and worst political films, we're joined by a brilliant new co-host. So if you could just introduce yourself. Hello, so I'm Min. I am president of the Film Society here at LSE. Um, I'm a third year IR student. Okay, and what is it about cinema or even political cinema that's particularly interested you? Well, firstly, to cinema, I think I kind of owe my existence to, which is that my my parents, way back in Korea, back in the day, um, they met at the cinema. So, like, if they hadn't gone to the same screening at that cinema and that same evening, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you about cinema. So I I feel like I kind of owe a bit of a a bit of a debt to cinema for, for me being here. Uh, when it comes to political cinema, um, all film is political, but um, I guess being president of the Film Society at LSE 
means I've always been on the uh, on the lookout for political themes in films more so than maybe if I went down the end of the uni. Um, and yeah, and also because of my degree in international relations, I, I love world cinema in particular and the sort of political trends in world cinema as well. So that's my yeah, that's my that's my love of cinema. Brilliant. And with that in mind, then, what is the best political film for you? So I'm going to go for a bit of a, a rogue call. It is on Netflix, though, if you want to check it out. Uh, it is Under the Shadow, which is a Iranian horror film which came out in 2014. Um, it deals with the immediate aftermath of the Iranian Revolution um, and the Iran-Iraq War. It's a story of a mother and her daughter uh, in this Iranian block of flats, which gets bombed by the Iraqis. And because it's a horror film, obviously, there's a bit of the supernatural involved, um, which is great. Uh, and yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good stuff. And why, why is that such a good political film? So, I guess what I love about film is it can give a voice, and it puts you in the position of people that you don't see in mainstream media. And the story of a single mother in the Iranian Revolution with her daughter is not something that gets covered in the history textbooks. Um, and the intersection of gender depression, with religious oppression, with single motherhood, with economic poverty, with war. These things aren't the most fashionable things in the news or in you know most of the forms of, yeah, in, in media really. And these things come together to produce this one film, this one hour and a half, where all these intersecting themes are, are, are discussed. And yeah, that for me just makes it really special. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a complexity to the film which I think is unmatched in, in other like, films that I've seen lately. Brilliant. And Georgina, what's yours? Um, so my favourite political films tend to be those that focus on campaigns um, and campaigning specifically. But my favourite is definitely Pride. Um, Pride, if you haven't seen it, and I fully recommend you do, focuses on a Welsh miners um, mining town on strike, but also on a group of um, gay activists who raise money to help the miners and sort of solidarity between um, miners on strike and those that are facing oppression at home, um, for their sexuality. And just it's one of the most heartwarming political films I've ever seen, but also has an incredibly important message that should be shared. Brilliant. Um, in terms of my own film consumption, I'll admit that I'm pretty bad at remembering plots. I've sort of got the attention span made for like the Vine generation, so I, I actually really can't remember a particular political film plot that stood out to me. I remember really enjoying sort of films like Doctor Strangelove and stuff, talking about um, sort of how personal interactions in a very sort of high pressure political environment sort of affect us globally um but i wouldn't necessarily say that i've got a favorite one but i've got a pretty long list of least favorites um i guess they come down to strands one of which i know that i talked about documentaries in the last one but those sort of very ideological documentaries we were talking about the sort of michael moore ones i personally enjoy but it's precisely because I personally enjoy them that they're the problem, right? They're, they're really not talking to an audience or really setting an agenda that you would expect a sort of documentary film to be doing. And then on the other side, I guess it's films that aren't made with specifically political messages. Let's say um, 
Batman with the Dark Knight. Um, you can talk about the sort of ideology behind that as much as you want. Or even, although I know that the book was very political, the film V for Vendetta sort of, you know, um, kind of washed away a lot of the sort of nuances of that. And those films seem to make these very large, you know, broad strokes of, you know, society, isn't it bad? Or, you know, these messages which seem to have turned them into political films ex post. So a lot of people online, a lot of people um, sort of sharing these things and thinking that it's incredibly deep, whereas actually a lot of the time it's fairly stale and actually quite problematic. The thing I guess I'd raise is, uh, as I said earlier, like all films are political. They are products of like workplace politics, Hollywood politics, global politics. Um, like say, take the interview with uh, Seth Rogen, and uh, you know that caused a political event. Oh, I it forgot that happened. It yeah. caused you know the, the the breakdown of relations between North Korea and the US. If they need yeah. to be broke down even even further, like films are embedded within political relations between people and between countries, right? Um, between genders and sexes and races as well. Um, and some films might choose to address politics more explicitly, like Pride, which deals with you know political campaigners. But even films like The Dark Knight, which you might not think addresses a certain politics, you know there are politics behind it. There are politics in the making of it, which determine its political outlook. And it's important to not forget that. I think. And you were talking just before we started recording. You were talking about The Dark Knight Rises as well, which yeah, know. I mean, like I don't think it's hard to read The Dark Knight Rises as, a, as an as an allegory for revolution, right? Like yeah. for the maybe if you want to look at nineteen seventeen, like it's Bane as I think he literally says like you know power to the people. We we've taken power. We give it to you, the people. You know, give it to you, the, the people, you, the people. Um, maybe we should be comparing Dark Knight Rises to October then. Oh <laughs> yes. But this is the thing, like, people are like, you know, Christopher Nolan studied English at UCL, right, just, just right around the, right the, right the corner. Like, he studies in an environment where, like, he's not, you know, completely insulated from studies of history and politics. So I'm sure that that featured and he thought about that and kind of Bane clearly isn't a good character. Like, the revolution goes awry and then, you know, you've got this, like, one guy who saves us all and all that kind of thing. Like, it's not hard to read Gotham as, a, as an allegory for revolution at all, not at all. I feel like I might have shaded the Dark Knight slightly too hard in that last section. I, I do think the Dark Knight's politics are more interesting than the Dark really? Knight Rises. I think the Dark Knight Rises goes a bit too sort of this is about revolution, this is about like kind of, you know. Yeah. Uh, whereas I feel like the Dark Knight deals with sort of more um, nuanced layers of sort of anarchy and, and, and money and consumer capitalism. I think that might be my problem is how it was interpreted afterwards then, you know, the sort of funneling of these nuanced ideas through so. I think it, and you, you, the, the point that you raised is also a really good one about the audience how the audience reacts like Ai Weiwei made a film called Human Flow which is uh, a political documentary you know about refugee movements it was screened exclusively at the Curzon in Bloomsbury and if you know what Bloomsbury is about you know that this film about refugees is clearly targeted towards an audience that already probably has quite progressive views about refugees right yeah and therefore this link between the audience and the director like you know if you showed that same film to county durham people in county durham like it wouldn't have had the same effect and this is the thing like films aren't monolithic things that just exist like it, it like films live in the interpretations of them and therefore audiences matter 
And then what, what for you then would be a bad political film? I think a bad political film is when the director knows the political message he wants to send. You know, he's like, this audience must interpret it this way, as opposed to kind of just creating uh, a two-hour thing where the, the audience can see into it what it wants to see. So say things like The Darkest Hour, or Darkest Hour, I think it's called, it's, it's not the definite article. It's like Churchill was a great person. Like, he did save Britain. And that is a monolithic narrative of an individual whose legacy, you know, we should debate, you know, I'm not saying that he was entirely a bad guy, entirely a good guy, but then when you're a filmmaker, you, you can, you know, make heroes out of people. And if you're not equipped, say, or if you don't want to critically interrogate these films, then you come away leaving Darkest Hour thinking, wow, what a great man Winston Churchill was. It doesn't help that Gary Oldman in his um, acceptance speech for the Oscar was like, you know, I'm dedicating this Best Actor Award to the greatest man of the 20th century, Winston Churchill. Uh, these are the kind of like the, the, yeah, the, the monopoly of truth that filmmakers have is what really worries me. Um, I think that quite links quite well to what my worst political films are as well, and they're just broadly bad biopics. Um, the one I'd seen most recently was called Marshall, and it's about <clears throat> Thurgood Marshall, who was the first African-American Supreme Court Justice, and is an incredibly important person in American history. Um, but like, it follows him before he's the Supreme Court Justice in the NAACP, but the film itself doesn't seem to be a story of him. The film focuses a lot more on developing, like, largely it's white characters and developing, like, a sort of plot than actually telling you anything about him as a man or him as a leader. And I think that is another way in which biopics can sometimes miss the mark. They can go in with a certain look at him, he's a great guy, and I think that's a bad biopic. And this biopic seems to just miss the mark of actually being a biopic at all and rather just being a story. I mean, the, the golden rule of cinema, uh, or literature, I guess, in general, is show, don't tell, right? Like, show, don't tell is what's hammered into filmmakers from all, all levels. It's show, don't tell. And biopics, more, more so than any other genre of film, is like, this is how it was. Like, mm -hmm. this is how it should be. So, um, yeah, I think biopics, like, in general, are probably the genre of film where we, we should be most critically engaged in. Mm -hmm. So we've taken on the Oscars, we've talked about revolution, and we've seen how Jaws can maybe sometimes be quite problematic. So thank you to everyone who joined me. Uh, it's been a pleasure being on the show, Hayden. Thank you. It's been a, it's been a, it's been an honour to try and emulate my hero Mark Camos in this uh, pod booth. Um, I feel like an honorary entertainment member. So hello to Jason Isaacs if anyone's listening out there. <laughs> Brilliant, and with this one we're not going to put a list of readings that you can have a look at if you're interested, we're actually just going to put a big list of films. So check us out on Spotify, and on Apple Music, and on Anchor now, because SoundCloud tried to make us pay money to use their services. Thanks. And Google Podcasts. Oh, and Google Podcasts, yeah. thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. What really should have won Best Picture this year? That's a million a dollar one. question. <laughs> um, so I would personally say the favourite, but this is caveated with I haven't seen Roma and I also haven't seen The Green Book. So they're like, I personally love the favourite out of the rest of them which I'd seen. Um, but men, you probably have a more known opinion. So firstly, the best films of the year obviously were not, were not nominated mm -hmm. for the best film category. Um, Green Book winning is just awful. 
Um, I mean, the, the racial politics of that is just, just off the scale stupid. Um, out of the nominees, I probably would have gone for Roma. It would have been great to see this Netflix foreign language film you know, win, win Best Picture. Um, the best film at the Oscars, though, hands down, was Cold War. That was nominated for the foreign language, best foreign language. Um, it should have it should have won Best Picture, uh, and yeah, Cold War would have had my vote um, the the whole way. Um, I'm also just going to give a little shout out for Leave No Trace, which didn't get nominated for Best Picture, but probably should have got a nomination there as well. But yeah, the Oscars did not tell the whole story. Please do not, yeah, do not think that Best Picture actually is the best film of the year. Wait, what did you think Best Picture was? Oh, um, I've literally just seen The Favourite as well. We just both went to watch it. I really liked it. It's got some imaginative uses of the certain words. I also like cinematography of it as well. Like the sort of fish islands and stuff that they use for that. Maybe we... Oh, should I be really controversial and really piss Adam off and say that Vice is my oh, favourite? No. You know Vice shouldn't have won. Like. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I didn't think it was that good. But I think Call Me By Your Name should have been nominated. That... So... It, if it if it was to be nominated, it should be nominated last year. Really? It, it, didn't, it doesn't come under. I don't call me by your name. Sorry, I mean, um, what do I mean? Can you ever forgive me? That's what I mean. Oh, I, don't, I didn't see that one. Yeah. I really liked it. Like I, I thought it was a really nice story. Um, and Richard Grant should have won the Oscar because he portrayed the character so well. Like he was incredible. But again, like Oscars yeah. are not a good translation of. But he uh, should have won the BAFTA. He's like, <laughs> I, I expect like you, everybody thought he'd win at least the BAFTA, yeah. and he just didn't win anything, which was shocking because I love the moonlight. It was really good. This is obviously all being cut, right? No, it's not. <laughs>